0: Distro Hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad of ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee.
1: My name is Tony. I live in the northwest of England.
2: And I am Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest. We
0: love checking distros out new distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have
2: overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro, or better understand one which has piqued your curiosity.
1: The idea of this podcast is that we will each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three or four weeks, and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials and tribulations, fixes, what we liked and what we didn't.
0: Tony and I prefer to look at distros which would be kind to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system, such as Windows or Mac OS.
2: While I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go.
1: We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro, and we will also divulge what hardware we are using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating.
0: Welcome to Distro Hoppers Digest, episode thirty. Recorded on February 15th, 2022. This episode, we're taking on Gecko Gnome Rolling, Gecko Budgie Static, and Deepin OS. We are happy to receive suggestions of distros you'd like us to try. We are joined once again by special guest, Joshua Hawk. <music> Monthly foibles wherein we discuss what we did this month. Let's start out with Josh. What's new with you?
3: Well, I uh, switched back to Linux Mint, which now might be a problem, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> I, do, I, I don't do really regret it, though. It really feels like coming home again, to be honest. It's just nice to have everything where I usually want it. Uh, my hardware is working great with it. The fans are actually working properly on my laptop. Uh, they f- fluctuate with the GPU and CPU temperatures. Unfortunately, the RGB um, on the keyboard doesn't stay the same color unless I boot into Windows first and then switch over to Mint. Then that stays the same. I, I don't know why that is exactly, but the fans work regardless either way. I um also finally got my uh, server transitioned over from my laptop to my desktop, and uh, that seems to be working. It was much simpler than I realized it was going to be using uh, Snap applications. Uh, I use Plex and NextCloud as a snap on my server. Snap is basically a containerized system for um, Linux applications, but I won't get into that. Long story short, I used a command called snap save. Um, That backed up my snaps to a remote folder on my server. And then I used snap restore to restore them back to the desktop. All in all, it took less than four hours. And I was taking my time, really. I wasn't really trying to rush anything. Uh, to transition over everything um and uh work out some of the kinks that I came across. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, so that was that was pretty simple. So uh
2: Dale, what are you up to? I did some preparation work for my upcoming hop to another distro. I've been using Pop OS on my desktop for almost eleven months. I'm considering MX Linux for my next long term distro and as a action I'm sort of on the fence between that and uh, Debian, but I guess you'll have to find out next month what I chose. I created the disk image using Gnome Disk, so I can quickly return to PopOS as if nothing has happened. Another important issue that needed some attention is comparing and verifying my backups. I have like two separate backups and I want to make sure that they were all in sync. I've been using a program called Free File sync for years now. It is a useful GUI utility for finding differences between two folders. It supports one-way, two-way sync along with comparing. Another useful GUI utility is called Detwinner, D-E-T-W-I-N-N-E-R. It makes finding duplicate files really easy. For finding images, it has a fuzzy compare option to find similar images. This whole process took a while. I have 350 or so movies and a dozen or so TV shows along with my other files. This is about two terabytes of files. If I want, I can set up a folder with pre-file sync or rsync. once I get my new distro installed. I also added a 500 gigabyte Western Digital Black NVMe drive to my desktop. is a PCIe 4x4 NVMe drive. I will use it in addition to my 500GB Seagate Q5 NVMe, which is a PCIe 3x4 NVMe drive. Not sure which I'll use for root and home, but I don't think it really matters. They're both faster than I'll ever need and the specs between them isn't that that big, comparatively speaking. I spent the rest of my week watching TV and attending video chats with some friends. A friend's wife had a birthday while I was home, so I joined them for dinner at a local restaurant. My weekend ended rather poorly due to getting 15 inches or 38.1 centimeters of snow early Sunday into a late Monday morning. This is not a normal occurrence in my area. We do get snow, but not that much. I mean, I think we got what we're supposed to have in a year, in one season, in like one day. I shoveled snow for about four hours, including brakes to warm up. If I remember correctly, it was around 15 degrees or about negative 9.4 Celsius. Once I finished, I needed to take another 35 minutes to uncover the car. To finish all this fun off, I drove down to where I parked my company's truck and proceeded to shovel it out as well. It wasn't as bad because the truck stop had a pickup plow there lot, so they did all the hard work for me, or most of it. If it wasn't for needing to get my car out, I would have had a plowing service do it. I didn't even try. I figured they were all booked up doing all the businesses in the area. So how about you, Tony?
1: So, I've not done much Linux stuff in the last month. Although, uh, after a shout-out, I have written a short review of the uh, new Juno PC that I got just before Christmas. Ronnie on Full Circle magazine was uh, calling out for articles. Hopefully it might be in the February issue which comes out at the end of this month. Uh, I've also done a little bit of modeling and restored my f- first Dinky car, uh, a Ford Anglia, and I've put a link in the show notes to that. Think Harry Potter and you might know the real what the real cars based on.
0: Hopefully yours runs better.
1: <laughs> yeah, mine doesn't fly though. There's a link here to, like I said, to look at the finished project. My wife and I decided to do a long walk about three weeks ago. Uh, We walked along the coast from here in Blackpool to a town about eight miles away called Cleveley's. And uh, we took a packed lunch with us and had that and then walked back. The whole thing took about six hours, but it was a lovely cold winter's day, but lovely and sunny. So uh, we had a real nice time and kept nice and warm with all the walking. And, uh, you know, considering about three years ago, uh, I could hardly walk because of arthritis that had flared up. I think it's not too bad, you know, for an old git like me. <laughs> Although I will admit, a couple of, for a couple of days afterwards, I was a little bit sore. So uh, anyway So over to you Moss Let's uh, hear what you've been up to
0: Well I haven't been able to walk very far at all Since my accident But I'm okay Um, I, I am jealous I used to walk two miles Or whatever I needed to do Whenever I needed to do it Anyhow This has been a dull month for me All the pressing things are taken care of I have all the machines I need And my musical instruments have been gathering dust I signed up for February album writing month That's FOM.org. The concept is to attempt to write 14 songs enough to fill an album in the month of February. Not many actually complete the task. I have one friend that's had a complete album the last three years running, but he's bragging. Uh, (laughs) But this is the first time I've attempted it. I also took one of my guitars to the shop for some needed but simple repairs. They actually had one of my tuning pegs break while they were fixing the nut and neck problem that I had, so I'm still waiting for a new set of uh, tuning gears to come in. I need to take another one for a neck straightening, but we'll wait until this one is fixed. I've been unable to sell my car for two months now. I have three distros on my T560 and five on the T540P, plus two on the tiny M700 Think Center. So keeping everything updated is lots of fun, but I've done worse. I remember when I had 10 distros on the uh, System76 laptop. <laughs> and we finally got our Hyundai Accent hatchback to the body shop yesterday for the prospect of repairs after being run over by a dog in mid-December. Yes, the dog ran over us. He was the one that got hurt but ripped up our bumper in the inside of the driver's wheel well. And he ran away, so we're okay. Let's move on to updates. (music) Updates, where we discuss what we have learned about distros we've already reviewed. I'm still waiting for the 2022 update on Farron OS. Dominic has gotten a little bit behind. I have caught up some with my young friend Rudor Sarasvat, who maintains Ubuntu Unity and several other distros. He also had an article written about him recently, link in the show notes, which really shows what an outstanding individual he is. I should probably get back to one of his distros soon. Ubuntu Unity 22.04 beta is out for testing purposes, including a Raspberry Pi spin, which Jupiter just took, commented on on their last show. Bodhi is working on version 6.1 and has a beta of 6.1 E25 and an alpha of 6.1 Moksha available for testing, link in the show notes. I also just learned there's a Mexican fork of Bodhi for education called Esquelas Linux, and they have a new version out, 7.3 for 64-bit and 6.17 and 32-bit in English and Spanish, and it uses kernel 5.15 LTS as developed by System76. And finally, Open Mandriva 4.3 is out for 64-bit Intel or AMD machines, with a version for Raspberry Pi and other SOC computers to be released soon and a port to
2: RISC-V on its way. Dale? I only have a couple this month. Slacko Linux released version 7.5 of their open box edition featuring kernel 5.15.12 and updates from Slackware's current branch. This may get some future updates now that Slacko 15 was released. I will put a link in the blog post in the show notes. Data Drake of the Solus Project announced their plans for 2022. After a departure of Joshua Stroll and other team members, Data Drake will be taking a more active role in the project. The title of the announcement is Not Dead Yet. I like that Monty Python reference. I will have a link to the announcement in the show notes. The last bit of news from Solus is the problem with their hosting provider. This is causing issues with downloading ISOs and updating existing installations. As of the 12th of February, the issue still exists. There is a temporary command to use in the meantime. It is using the command line updater called EO package. Using a until loop to keep it trying. I will post the link to the blog post in the show notes. So how about you, Tony?
1: Nothing from me this month. At this point, we lost Josh's audio, so Moss filled in.
0: Josh has in the show notes, Linux Mint 20.3 Edge ISO is out, and Fedora 36 is starting its final phases to release on April 26th. So we move on to beautiful failures and hope we can pick Josh up soon. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to run or install this month. Oddly, I've had nothing I couldn't deal with this month. Dale?
2: This isn't a failure, but odd enough to mention. I installed the new Mint Cinnamon on my Dell Inspiron 13 so I could check it out. I tried to turn on the Dell a few days later and it was stuck at the Dell logo screen. After many attempts to get into the BIOS, on a whim, I put my Ventoy stick in and attempted to boot off of it. Once it booted, instead of choosing it, I uh, instead chose the uh, Enter the BIOS option. From there, I reset the default settings. And after that, the laptop booted fine. It was so bizarre. It would sit there for 15 minutes at the Dell logo screen, turn it off, put the stick in, boot it up like normal. So that was... Uh, New one on me. So, how about you, Tony?
1: Yeah, um, I don't know whether these would be classed as uh, beautiful failures or not, but I uh, tried to play with a distro in boxes and couldn't get it to work, and that happened to me a couple of times. First time was with Slackware 15. This wasn't Boxy's fault. This was uh, an issue with Slackware not playing very nice to install, because when you create a new um drive or a new uh, virtual machine in boxes the uh, hard drive in it or the ssd in it is not formatted at all you have to create the partition table and then format it so that's not an issue with most uh, distros because they'll do that uh, within the uh, installer but because Slackware is old school, you've actually got to use um, the command line to format the hard drive. I'm not interested in doing that. If I was doing it in the real world, I would have um, stuck a uh, USB stick in, of mint, formatted the hard drive, and then gone back and used, uh, you know, installed Slackware that way. So I couldn't get it installed in uh, in boxes. Uh, The other one I couldn't get installed in Boxes was uh, PC Linux OS for some reason. Boxes doesn't like it. It froze. I later tried it out in VirtualBox and it booted up fine, went into uh, the live disk and then I was able to install it. But for some reason in Boxes it just froze up. I also tried uh, Slackware in uh, VirtualBox because uh, VirtualBox creates a a virtual PC I was able to use a Linux Mint uh, ISO to format the hard drive and then come out of that uh, change over to the Slackware uh, ISO and then because I'd already uh, formatted the drive to um, file system that uh, is standard on most Linux, I can't remember the name of it now, just ext4 that's it that's the one it recognized that the, the hard drive was already formatted so it just skipped past the format of the hard drive bit and i was able to get it installed uh i wasn't very chuffed with the installer but i was able to get <laughs> slackware installed that's it you know in VirtualBox. so uh, that was a win but a fail for boxes because of the way slackware is old school. That's one of the reasons I don't use old school uh, distros like install Arch the Arch where you know. <laughs> That's why I use Endeavor, because it's all done for you. Anyway, shall we move over to uh, Moss and his review No, let's move
0: up to Josh and his beautiful failures if he's back with us.
3: Can you guys hear me?
0: Yep, you're good.
3: Okay, good. I have no idea what happened. Anyway, my beautiful failure... <laughs> Um, only gaming related failures, um, other than this whole debacle with, you know, everything right now, (laughs) but, um, it's all been pretty much NVIDIA's fault for my gaming stuff. While playing a game called Valheim, um, with the newest NVIDIA drivers, uh, 510, if I set the Optimus graphics switching to on demand, uh, the game would, would, uh, I don't know, I guess it's a soft crash. Where everything on the game would freeze, but my mouse would still work, and I just couldn't access anything, and I'd have to hard reboot. So then if I manually set the graphics to just the NVIDIA drivers, and only the NVIDIA drivers, where it doesn't switch between Intel and NVIDIA, the game would work with no issues. Um, yeah, the, I don't know. It's All I can say is it's an NVIDIA issue with the 510 drivers, because I didn't have it with the previous 495 drivers. Uh, Another game-related issue I had was with Metro Exodus. Uh, When playing on only my laptop screen, the game had no issues, it worked fine, but when attaching my external monitors, uh, the game would launch and then it would only be on half of one of the screens. So basically... 50% fifty percent of the top of my screen was the game playing like you could see the mouse on the game and everything you could see the graphics and all that and the bottom 50 percent of my screen would be the desktop where you could see you know mints taskbar and all that stuff I still don't know why that happened I have been looking for a solution to that but um on Windows it works fine and I just wanted to also mention that that game is a Linux port from Windows so that could just be the issue because a lot of ports from windows versions don't work very well Um, so anyway that's all i have for my beautiful failures
1: let's move ahead and get mossy's review of gecko static budgie okay gecko 153
0: static budgie Intro, Gecko has long been known as the easy way to get OpenSUSE on your system. Indeed, once it is installed, no part of your system from Grub to Terminal knows you're running Gecko and not OpenSUSE. But I haven't tried Gecko out in some time, I thought I'd give it a go. My hardware I installed to my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P, featuring an i7-4810HQ CPU, 16 gigs of RAM and both Intel and NVIDIA graphics. On SDA3, a partition on my 512 gig SSD. Installation ease and issues. It wasn't hard to set up, as the installer is Calamaris. This version of Calamaris has an old bug, which makes it difficult to change your username during installation. There's a workaround, but it hasn't always had this, and I expect them to fix it someday. The bug is, uh, my name is Bliss. I use username Zyvala. When I go to fix the username on the install screen, it changes the first letter, and then jumps to the end. This repeats until you're done. The workaround is to cut and paste everything from the at side on, delete the name, and enter the name you want, and then paste the rest back in. This happens on most current Calamaris installers. I assume it's tied to the version. Otherwise, installation was a piece of cake. It refused to install Grub being on the second disk, but it worked fine after running Grub Customizer in Bodhi on the first disk. I'm getting used to this. Also be aware that there is a beginner version and an advanced version of the installer. I did not try the advanced version. Post installation hardware facts and issues. After installation, I went to update the packages. I opened Yast and ran online upgrades. This was simple and fairly straightforward, but it took considerably longer than apt would have in an Ubuntu distro. I wanted to remove some unwanted programs, Yast was not very helpful, but while looking I was happy to notice that it had loaded the NVIDIA driver. After another try I learned that Yast does not display all the packages, you have to search for them. I found and removed what I set out to do. While I was doing that I was informed there were a large number of more packages to install, and I did that while I was removing packages. When I was done a system reboot was required. I opened up Firefox, and the browser thought it was full screen, but it wasn't. The controls were where you would expect them to be in full screen mode, but not where they were drawn on the screen. I closed and reopened, and everything was in the right spot. I have not had that issue reappear. I tried installing my four little games. It did fine with KMines, although it installed the newer package, which does not save times, and Mahjong, but could not find NetHacker PySol FC. I downloaded the RPM of Softmaker FreeOffice and installed it, and the signature certification failed, but it worked fine when I ran it. FreeOffice installed much more quickly than it has in other distros, and I didn't notice until later that it was FreeOffice 2021, not 2018, as I had installed before. I didn't even know there was a 2021 until I tried to use my code for certifying that I had FreeOffice running. And it wouldn't take my 2018 code, so I had to go get a new code for it. I downloaded and installed my printer driver installation file and ran it. Everything worked fine, again, much faster than usual. While I was doing that, I noticed that the save button on the download screen is at the top right, which is weird. File system is ButterFS. The installer didn't ask, just did it. I guess you're supposed to know if you're running Sousa that you're gonna get ButterFS. Dale noticed that his installation of Rolling never notified him of updates and asked me whether Static did the same thing. Yes, it does the same thing, and I had not noticed. I am not your typical user. I open up a distro and go do updates and look for them if they're not shown. I had just gotten used to opening Yast and checking for updates. I know I should have probably been running the terminal version of that, and Dale will talk about that in his review. But the typical new user would just never update if they were not notified that updates were available. This might become a security issue in a very short time. On top of that, when you do select this option, it shows several updates available and does not auto select them. When you do select them, you get the a confusing message, which seems to indicate that they can't all be installed at the same time and you will need to reboot. But after installing whatever it could and rebooting, there are no more packages to update, so it was an unnecessary panic attack on my part. Perhaps I didn't need to upgrade all those packages, but it wasn't clear, and they were there, listed as recommended updates. In a later update, I was asked whether I wanted to break Samba, break some library, or skip a patch. I know better than to skip patches, and I don't network the computers using Samba, so I picked the break option. But a new user would likely have no idea what was going on. On top of everything else, when all was updated and upgraded, I found myself still running kernel 5.3.18. Even Mint starts with 5.4.0, and 5.17 is current. Ease of use. At this point, I have everything I'm going to get without digging a lot deeper. I am less than happy with the system because it is quite a bit different from what I'm used to and feels stiff. But I managed to get Telegram and Discord installed, and Firefox is just Firefox. But the more I try to customize it, the more I feel I'm hitting my head against a brick wall. There is no modernization of the interface. Everything is just squares and rectangles with hard corners. No smoothing or 3D effects. Nothing. Take it or leave it. Maybe it would have been different if I had installed Plasma instead of Budgie, but this is bad design. Memory and disk use. RAM usage was 701 megabytes. It's using 6.541 gigabytes of disk space. Ease of finding help. I didn't have any problems which necessitated going to look for help. I really can't give a rating on this, there are a number of people out there who are friendly to OpenSUSE users, and there are a number who go into RTFM mode when you ask a question. As I did not visit the forum, I don't know what you'll find when you go there. I realize I've been saying this a lot lately and wonder why I'm not following this lead-up, but there you have it. Plays nice with others, I'm not having any trouble multibooting, it works well. After a week, I installed something else on SDA4, and things are still quite hunky-dory, or as one of our British friends would say, tickety-boo. Stability. This is a strong point. SUSE is the number two professional distro in terms of profits, so it should be pretty stable. I hope that having the files in ButterFS makes it more, not less, stable. Similar distros to check out? Open Sousa or any other RPM-based distro. So let's get into the ratings. Ease of installation, new user, eight out of 10. Experienced user, 10 out of 10. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, I'm skipping that one. Ease of use, five out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. My overall rating is six out of 10. Final comments, I have run SUSE before. I have run Gecko before. I didn't remember why I stopped using it, but now I do. This is not a system for a simple desktop user. It's perfectly stable, but even with the ease of installation offered by Calamari's, nothing else is easy. I hope I can forget this experience in the next year or so so I can do an objective review when a new version comes out in the future. I never could get to where I felt comfortable and don't really know why. Dale, you're looking at Gecko rolling. Why don't you tell us
2: about that? All right. Well, I just want to first preface this. I'm not going to repeat any of the other details that Moss had, since it was kind of uh, redundant. But uh, Gecko is a spin of Opensuse, Leap, and Tumbleweed distros. Static is based on Leap, with rolling based on Tumbleweed. The initial release was on the 27th of May in 2016. They include proprietary codecs and software that you would need to manually install in OpenSUSE. Here are a few of the key differences. Gecko Linux does not force the installation of additional recommended packages after system installation, whereas OpenSUSE pre-installs patterns and automatically installs recommended package dependencies, thus causing many additional and possibly unwanted packages to be installed the first time the package manager is used. Gecko Linux pre-installed packages can be installed with all their dependencies, whereas OpenSUSE's patterns often cause uninstalled packages to be automatically reinstalled. My hardware. A laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has a dual-core Intel i5-6200U at 2.8 GHz. 14-inch display using Intel's HD Graphics 520. 16 GB of RAM and my 500 gigabyte Samsung. I think it's an 840 or 860. Can't remember. Installation ease and issues. Gecko rolling uses calamaris for the installer. I have to say it was the easiest calamaris install. The usual questions were asked like language, time zone, partitioning, the drive, etc. I chose to replace the partition that I had Voyager Linux installed. After selecting my choices I arrived at the begin installing prompt. I thought I had skipped a page so I went back there and sure enough I did not. That's how quick it went. One thing I do like about Colin Morris is when the maintainers use the save Wi-Fi passphrase after the install feature. It is nice to boot into a new install and having the Wi-Fi connect automatically. Oh yes it is especially when you're people like me that have <laughs> a Dickens novel for a uh, Wi-Fi password. along <laughs> with long of my passwords. Post installation hardware facts and issues. No hardware issues were found upon boot up. I noticed that they were using GNOME 41.3 which I believe is the uh, newest until 42 comes out but it's using X11. I was surprised that they were not using Whaling, considering that it has been available in OpenSUSE for quite a while now. While looking through the extensions, I noticed only three User Themes, that's for loading themes from the user's home folder, GPaste, that's a clipboard manager, and Desktop Icons, that's for putting uh, your home folder and recycle bin and etc. on your desktop. I noticed the desktop icons were not working. After taking a closer look, They're using an extension that is only for GNOME 3. It cannot be removed, nor was it working. And I have no idea how they got a GNOME 3 and a GNOME 4 desktop because... Magic. (laughs) Yeah, it's magic. (laughs) So I thought I would add Ding, which is the package or the extension called desktop icons ng, since I know it was a, a GNOME 4 compatible extension. I opened Firefox and saw that they didn't have the NOME extensions add-on installed. Another odd misstep, in my opinion. Once I installed NOME extensions and added Ding, and while I was at it, I added Custom Hot Corners Extended, because every desktop should have it installed, because it really adds the functionality of NOME, in my opinion. While doing an update using Zipper, which is the uh, command line update utility, it suggested I do a dist upgrade instead. I decided to take this suggestion and run zipperedup instead. I had my T460 off to the side while I was upgrading while watching uh, YouTube on my tablet. I looked over a while later and saw it was finishing up. I tried to move the mouse to make sure the terminal had the uh, keyboard focused but the mouse would move. I went to type exit to close the terminal window and my keyboard wasn't working. After a few minutes, I ended up holding on the power button to force a power off. Upon reboot, I noticed that FSCK, which is the file system check, didn't check the disk. It booted up as if nothing happened. Once I logged in, everything seemed fine. I checked some log files and didn't see anything obvious. This is the first time the laptop has ever locked up. I don't know if it was Gecko? that caused it, or if it was a random hardware issue. Uh, It's been very reliable the years I've had, so I have no idea what happened. Ease of use. This is a very vanilla GNOME desktop. That may work for some people, but not for me. I don't add many extensions, at least not like I used to. I can go without the notifications in the top panel just to switch apps occasionally with the uh, alt tab. I just find it convenient on smaller screens like a laptop to have notifications visible. I know some GNOME users would say that I need to utilize workspaces. I just don't see the difference between that or using alt tab to cycle through the uh, open apps. An odd issue that I noticed in Gecko and other distros is the fact that Flatpak is installed but not configured. I know you can configure any Flatpak repo to work with Flatpak. The most widely known and used is Flathub, so why not configure it? Well, after reading through some forum posts and blogs, there are proprietary codecs and license-restricted uh, files that are installed to satisfy the uh, Flatpak dependencies of the uh, of the applications. With that said, I don't see why Gecko doesn't enable Flatpak. One of the big reasons for using Gecko is to have the codecs and packages installed, or available to be installed. Since they are not available by default in OpenSUSE, this is because OpenSUSE along with Debian Fedora follow their false beliefs. Pretty much the way I look at it, if you're already putting proprietary and other license issued applications in your repo, just enable Flatpak. But that's just my opinion. I saw an issue that it needed immediate attention once I opened the terminal. It had this blinding white background. My first reaction was seriously? I needed to get my sunglasses out, it was so bright in contrast to the dark theme of the desktop. I opened the preferences and changed the background color theme to GNOME Dark. It blended in nicely with the dark theme of the desktop. This was another misstep, in my opinion. The misstep tripping continues. As Moss has already mentioned, I noticed I wasn't getting update notifications. What I usually do time permitting is once I'm done driving I get my food ready for the microwave and while it is heating up I then turn on my T460 then sign in while eating and watching YouTube on my tablet 30 minutes had elapsed and no notifications I open the terminal and type sudo zipper dup dup after a long delay that uh, it takes zipper to update its repos I was presented with a huge list of packages needed to be updated. I waited a bit longer to see if that triggered the GUI notification. After not seeing any, I typed the uh, zippered up command again and applied the updates. Another few days had gone by, so I turned the uh, T460 on again. There was no update notification. I verified that there were updates available. Yamos. Yeah,
0: that's just weird. That's just how can you have a rolling distro that doesn't tell you there are updates? There's something wrong with that. Go go ahead.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I'm 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 odd because this works in OpenSUSE, in Static, and Tumbleweed. So it's something they changed. I don't know what, but anyways, I wrote to Moss and he confirmed that it was happening on his Static install. I wrote to Joss and asked him if he had time to install rolling in a VM since it, it was this easier. I think I suggested that to him. No sense in dedicating a machine for uh, this. I always have time to install a distro. what I figured too. This was the rule any issues with my installation because, you know, things can happen. He too verified that he didn't get any notifications in the following days and weeks. I would ask him occasionally in uh, in Signal. Other than that, I don't need to rehash everything that Moss has already said on the subject. And I already mentioned that at the beginning of my review that I don't want to duplicate effort here. Yeah,
0: I, didn't, I did not use Zipper in the terminal. I was always just using Yast. But apparently it has the same problem updating the repos and, and uh, the manager and all that, that, that in Zipper as it does in Yast. And it's deadly long. I don't know how they can do that.
2: Yeah, that that's the other reason why, even though I prefer terminal-based updating, I did that because I knew Moss was going to be doing the GUI update, so I figured I'd let him cover that. So, But going on, as far as the functionality of Zipper, and it's kind of an interesting spelling, it's Z-Y-P-P-E-R um, in the terminal.
0: Or as Tony has said in the past, Zyper.
2: Zyper, <laughs> yeah, I like that. Moss and I previously mentioned it is slow updating despite what network connection you have. Once updated, it is very detailed about what needs updated, removed, or added. It will give some advice on how to avoid some potential conflicts. Out of the habit I have with apt, I typed update. Zipper suggested that in this situation, I should use dist-upgrade. This is the DOP command switch, which stands for dist upgrade. There is also a short version of the update called up. I don't remember them so I always use the longer command switch. The suggestions are not terse in any way. They are quite descriptive. For example, one such suggestion was worded as follows. Since the last system boot, core libraries or services have been updated. Reboot is suggested to ensure that your system benefits from these updates. I was able to connect to my Samba server, though it didn't see it by default. I needed to use the connect to server entry box at the bottom of the gnome files window. I typed in smb con 4 slash and click connect. I was shown my shares. After clicking on the first one, I entered my credentials and the contents were displayed. The others opened without needing the uh, credentials entered. The HP Color LaserJet M175 that I have wasn't detected automatically. I tried the HP LIP package that was already installed. It detected the printer and needed a privileged user to authorize it. I typed in my user and password But it was rejected i had to repeat the uh, setup again but this time i used root in my password this time it was successful apparently it i don't know that was just another oddity of this distro i removed the printer and tried using yas to configure the printer the automatic wouldn't see printers on my network i ended up using the setup wizard but i still needed to enter the ip address of the printer it opened a window to select the model. I searched and found it, which was kind of impressive to me because sometimes my model isn't listed, given the fact that it's like probably 10 years old. <laughs> it should be. In any case, the attest page printed fine. I noticed that the VS printing enabled the printer server. I opened up the printer settings on Pop! OS and found it. I was able to print using the T460 as a print server, which I thought was kind of old school, kind of neat, maybe not so old school, maybe some people are still using it. In any case, the most surprising news is that I noticed Gecko had a scanning application. I opened it and saw my printer already listed. I put the test page that I printed on my document reader on the printer. The first attempt failed, but a window opened and informed me that I needed to install a plugin to enable that feature. It was all automatic, just clicking dialog boxes. After it downloaded and installed the plugin, I was returned to the scanning application. On the second attempt, it scanned the test page. I was shocked. This was the first time I had ever been able to scan a document using Linux. It was over the network, which was even more surprising. It looks like I will be creating a Gecko VM to replace my Windows 10 VM to scan documents in the future. Anytime I can get rid of Windows, that's a happy day. HP's HP LIP application has never worked for me, and it reports that my printer model doesn't even support scanning over the network. Maybe HP should take some notes from the Gecko maintainers. They might be able to teach them a thing or two about their uh, their printers. HP, huh? Huh? Good grief! Memory and disk use. There was uh, nine gigabytes of space used on the SSD, and the memory reported by the uh, free-h command was 820 megabytes, which is kind of heavy, but that's actually not bad for, for a GNOME. I've seen GNOME installs use almost a gig.
0: Yeah, mine was only 701, so we're close.
2: Yeah, it's not bad. I think it's because they don't have a lot of extensions installed and etc. Ease of finding help. I didn't seek out help other than some random searches I did for a few items. Gecko does have some brief documentation on their website. Their forum is using GitHub, so you'll need to create a GitHub account to uh, be able to access that. Plays nice with others. I have a dual booting with Debian testing with, with no problems. Stability. I think for stability, I would stick for static. I didn't have any problems with rolling, but there are some possibilities where an update could break something. I believe this has been mitigated slightly by the excellent suggestions by Zipper, but as you heard through Moss's review, things could go pear shaped rather quickly. Similar distros to check out. OpenSUSE is pretty much the only thing you're going to be able to uh, check out. If you wanted some FOSS friendly distros, I would say uh, Fedora or uh, Debian. Ratings, ease of installation for a new user. I'm just gonna give it a 10 because it was over before I even noticed it started. Experience is the same, 10. Harder issues, 10. I'm not reviewing the uh, ease of finding help. I didn't do it. Ease of use, I'm gonna give that a seven. Plays nice with others, 10. Stability, I'm still gonna give it a 10 just because I didn't have any problems with it, but you know. Your mileage may vary as they say. The overall rating is a a 7 out of 10. My uh, final comments for this uh, distro, overall this is a decent distro. Once they fix the issues I mentioned, I believe it will be a better experience. I'm quite impressed with the printer support. Even though it was not automatic like it is in other distros, it made up for it in functionality. Now, let's run over and see what Joss has for us on Deepin OS.
3: So, I, uh, I'm in uh, reviewing Deepin OS 20.4. Um, uh, Deepin is a Chinese-based distro that uses um, its own custom DE called Deepin Desktop Environment. Uh, it is based on Debian. Uh, currently, Debian 10, but it has its own repo and applications for newer, more up to date software. Uh, the history of this distro is, is uh, kind of crazy. <laughs> um, so, Deepin started way back in 2004 as Highweed Linux. Uh, it was originally based on Morphix Linux, which I never actually heard of before, and used Ice Window Manager. Uh, by the end of 2004, it was rebased on Debian and used XFCE as its desktop. In late 2006, it was again rebased this time on Ubuntu and for a short time used LXDE as its desktop. Deepin was based on Ubuntu all the way till uh, 2015, but that didn't stop them from changing desktops around. Between 2006 and 2015, Deepin went from LXDE to Gnome 2 to Gnome 3, which Gnome 3 obviously preceded or Came after GNOME 2, so they had to kind of do that. But they finally decided to make their own DE, which is the Deepin Desktop um, version 1.0 in uh, 2015. Um, You think the fun is over, but the fun has just begun. In late 2015, Deepin again rebased on Debian, but this time it was not the stable branch but the unstable branch. Surprisingly, they used Debian Unstable for three years till 2018, and finally in early 2019 rebased again on Debian Stable. Deepin kept using their Deepin desktop environment since 2013 to this day, as far as I know. That's what they are running right now. Uh, So... At least uh, one thing stayed consistent (laughs) for a while. Uh, So my hardware, uh, so for this review, I used KVM virtualization uh, to evaluate this this distro. KVM is a true bare metal uh, hypervisor, so I got very similar performance to bare metal. Um, It's basically like boxes, except for I'm using the um, vert manager, which gives you a lot more um, control over what the different hardware aspects are. I use this on my Acer Predator Helios with a Core i7-11800H CPU, 16GB of 3200MHz RAM, and an RTX 3060 GPU. Uh, For this the GPU doesn't matter so much because I'm using a VM, I'm going to try to get around this in future reviews. Uh, The VM had uh, four CPU cores and four gigabytes of RAM allocated to it which um, is well above the minimum specs for this distro. So installation, ease and issues. First, if you speak English, make sure that you switch it to English in the installer because it's set to Chinese by default but it's in English so you gotta make sure that you switch it. If you switch it from Chinese to English and then English to Chinese again, it does go to Chinese. I don't know, it was weird why it I don't know why it did that exactly. But um you will also need to agree to the Eula before progressing with the installer. I did read the Eula a uh, little bit and it's kind of confusing and concerning because they say they're GPL three, but in the same breath they also say you can't use their software and you can't use their I understand the branding, that that I understand, but the but their software isn't I, I don't know if it's proprietary or not because they don't really say,
0: well, at least the desktop they use over in the Ubuntu DDE respin, so
3: yeah, yeah, they do have the desktop over there, so I know that is open source somehow. I don't know where the source code is i I tried looking for that, but I just I have no idea, yeah, and then once you press next, you're given a choice of what disk you want to install onto you either choose advanced or full disk and then select the disk you want to use. The advanced option gives you full control to create partitions and to manually install deep in. And it's exceptionally good for a custom partitioner. Uh, They don't use Gparted or disks or anything like that. They have their own partitioner. I'm not sure what the background program they're using, but the GUI version is very good. Like you can pretty much do anything you want that you could do in Gparted or anything like that. Uh, If you do the full disk install, uh you need to have at least 64 gigabytes but is recommended to use 128 gigabytes for best performance. That kind of struck me cuz that's that's quite a bit to to need when I can install like let's say mint on like 15 gigs and yeah that's that's not a lot but I can do it <laughs> and have no problem.
0: Yeah, I have very rarely had an install uh take up more than 8 or 9 gigs of disk space. That's a lot.
3: Yeah, yeah exactly. It kind of has to do with the way they partition it, but yeah, I'll get into that now. Uh, The auto installer creates six different partitions, boot, data, root, recovery, and boot me and swap. Uh, Even though I have four gigabytes of RAM issued to the distro, it still creates a six gigabyte swap by default. Uh, The recovery partition comes in handy later on. I also selected uh, to encrypt the disk. I wanted to test how it worked and and what the encryption password screen looked like um, at boot because a lot of times distros, they either have a really nice looking encryption password entry or they just have like a terminal based. And I, I can't stand that because you can't see how many characters you typed or anything like that. It's, it's a pain in the neck and it looks stupid, uh, for especially for a nice desktop like this is. But if you select the encryption, you'll be presented with the create an encryption password screen before moving on. You're now ready to install, but your next choice is if you want to make a backup for the system restore first. Um, it is selected by default, which is pretty good. I, I like that. I like that it's selected by default. The backup will increase the install time, but it's definitely worth it. Now you're finally done installing. Yeah, the install time took about 10 minutes. That was selecting everything and then hitting the install so it wasn't it wasn't too bad Uh, post installation hardware facts and issues Um, once you boot for the first time you again need to select english and agree to the eula i'm not sure why they do that twice i understand the english but the eula i don't know why you gotta um, select that again but um then you select your time zone and create your user account uh, then deepen, tune your system, whatever exactly that means. <laughs> I know it means something cause my fans did kick up at this point. After about another 5 minutes you can log into your desktop. One more thing you have to select is if you want effect mode or normal mode. Basically effect mode enables animations when closing windows and stuff like that. And the uh, normal mode disables them. Once you are logged in, you are uh, presented with a welcome screen that shows you kind of not helpful video. Uh, It showcases the desktop and some applications, but does not help you in any way to navigate the desktop. It's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of pointless for a new user, especially since all of the um, deep-in applications are like right on the taskbar at the bottom. So I don't really know. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, you click next on the welcome screen and you're presented with another choice fashion mode or efe- efficient mode. Fashion mode is a more Windows 11 slash macOS style desktop, and efficient mode is a more Windows 7 10 style desktop setup. After this, you again get to choose if you want effect mode or normal mode, as I stated before. Next is your icon theme choice. Uh, you're presented with Bloom. And Bloom Classic, which is their um, default theme for Deepin. I'm not sure if they make it or not. I didn't really find that out, but that's what they use. Papyrus, which is my personal favorite icon theme. And a vintage icon set that just looks plain old. (laughs) Finally, you are done with the post-installation stuff. One glaring issue, literally, is when in dark mode, which I have to use for medical reasons due to severe headaches... The App Store does not go into dark mode and it's blinding. Uh, to me that is a deal breaker because it literally hurts to look at the App Store for longer than 5 or so minutes. Uh, that being said, the App Store is one of the best I have used in a long time. It has many apps and even ones that Debian does not usually include such as Vivaldi Browser. Speaking of browsers though, uh, the included one is first off in Chinese. so you can't read it unless you're Chinese and you know how to, you know, read the language. And two is way out of date. It is using Chromium version 93 when Chromium is now on version 99. So do not use that browser because you will get hacked. (laughs) Uh, yeah, that's, that's way too old. They need to update that. I don't know why they even include it at this point. Ease of use. Uh, Deepin is one of the easiest distros I have used. Uh, I never once had to touch the terminal for anything. You can do everything you need from the uh, included GUI app. I, I was kind of expecting that because I, I heard a lot about this distro being really nice looking and usually the nicer looking distros you don't have to touch the terminal as much. So. That's a plus. Uh, Memory and disk usage. Uh, Cold boot memory usage using the Deepin system monitor uh, says um, 906 megabytes used, uh, which is kind of high for a QT-based desktop environment, but they do have a lot of extra um, services running rather than like KDE. They don't have a lot of services running by default. So that's probably what adds a lot of that. RAM usage, Uh, disk usage on the root file system was about 1.1 gigabytes using df um, tac h command. Uh, I had to use that command because uh, there was no GUI way of seeing how much... Well, there was, but it was very confusing. And even with using df tac h it was kind of hard to to see what was being used by the root partition because it was named different. I kind of hoped that it was the root partition. I'm pretty sure it was. So uh, that's what I that's what I saw. Ease of finding help. Um, Deepin does have a forum um, that is in English and Chinese and seems to be fairly active. I, I saw a lot of posts on the day that I looked. Like, that was just posted maybe like an hour before and was responded to. So, Also, it is based on Debian. So anything that works on Debian should work on Deepin. Uh, I say that with an asterisk because, you know, a lot of times with the different desktop environments especially with a custom one like deepin desktop environment uh you might not be able to do the exact same things but anything that's terminal based under the hood that doesn't revolve around anything that has to do with the desktop you should be okay with using the debian um forums or anything like that to figure anything out uh plays nice with others um i did dual boot this with ubuntu dde um and it seemed to work just fine i i did that through um the kvm i just made two virtual disks, and I I installed it on the second virtual disk, so basically like having two disks in your uh, laptop, Uh, and that seemed to work fine. I I had no issues with that at all. I was going to contrast this with Ubuntu DDE, but I thought that maybe that would add too much to this, so I, I decided not to do that. A stability... I did not experience any kind of issues um, in this regard, plus it is based on Debian, so again, it should be good. If this was still based on Debian Unstable, I would say otherwise, I'd say probably steer clear of this if you want a really stable distro, but since it's based on Debian Stable now, I would say it's going to be fine. Uh, I did not test any games on this for the Gaming Ease uh, section, so I'm just going to skip that. Uh, Similar distros to check out. Ubuntu DDE is basically a clone of Deepin minus the Deepin software and is based on, you guessed it, Ubuntu. Ratings. Ease of installation for a new user. I gave it a 9 out of 10 only because it's a much different installer than anything else that Linux uses. So it might be a little jarring at first, but once you see how it works the first time, it's very easy to, to get around for an experienced user, uh, ease of installation is 10 out of 10, no no problems at all. Even using the advanced partitioner. Hardware issues. Um, I gave this an 8 out of 10 only because I used a VM and a lot of times VMs work when sometimes the hardware doesn't. And being that it's Debian stable, I don't know if they use the proprietary stuff for that or not. If I did know that I would have a better knowledge about this to see if it would work because if they aren't using proprietary then it might not work on a lot of desktops. Um, ease of finding help. Um, I give this a 9 out of 10 because they do have a very active forum um, and it, it's in English and Chinese so that's that should be fine to get help. Uh, I really didn't look on any kind of like telegram or discord or anything for, for help but um, definitely their forum is good. Um, ease of use 9 out of 10. Could easily be a 10 out of 10, but um, like I said, it's a different desktop environment, so it might be a little jarring for a new user, but um, for an experienced user, I would say 10 out of 10, definitely. Plays nice with others, 9 out of 10. I didn't have any issues, but again, I'm just giving this 9s and not 10s because of the uh, VM aspect of this. I I really want to test this on on hardware before I gave it a 10. Uh, stability 10 out of 10 because it's it's debian i mean it's going to be stable i i don't care what anyone says <laughs> uh works with games i didn't rate that because i didn't ch- test any games with it um overall rating i give it a 9 out of 10 yeah i, I would recommend this to any new user basically Uh, Final comments. I had trouble finding the source code for Deepin. It has seemed to have been hosted on GitHub in the past, but is no longer. And I could not find where they moved it to. Uh, This concerned me deeply because without the source code, how do we know what's under the hood? And that's not necessarily for the desktop environment because obviously Ubuntu uses that. So there shouldn't be any issues, but I'm talking about other stuff they might add to Debian or their proprietary, or I don't know if it's open source or proprietary, but their applications. Or telemetry or things like that. Or telemetry, which I think they do have telemetry, but they really explain that away to being kind of like Ubuntu's telemetry, where it's very, um, uh, what do you want to call, it? anonymous. I can't say that they're telling the truth or not about that, but um, it, just not being able to find the source code is very concerning to me uh, for for being able to use this as a daily driver.
1: Yeah, just just one point there. You mention uh, that because Ubuntu DDE uses the desktop environment, right? It will have been checked. I don't think the Ubuntu devs check all the you know underlying apps that are on a particular distro before it gets uh, taken in right. under the umbrella. So, you know. And I'm not even sure if Ubuntu DDE has actually been uh, accepted as an is- an official flavor yet.
0: No, it's a respin, but they're working on it.
1: Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. So uh, you can't actually say that the desktop environment is safe because it's ju- got the uh, the Ubuntu name next to it. Okay.
0: You kind of can because the Ubuntu DDE devs are in India, and. They kind of don't like sharing data with China. <laughs> I I have talked to them. They, they have done a really good job of, of uh, going through the code on that. I have had discussions with them.
1: But what I'm saying is that's nothing to do with the fact that it's got Ubuntu next to DDE. That's all I'm saying.
3: Right, yeah. Just because it says Ubuntu doesn't mean that you're going to be safe per se. Correct. Right,
1: yeah, I, yeah, I I should have done more digging
3: into this, um, but I I just I just didn't have the time to to really dig into that part of it. But it does say on their EULA on Deepin that th- that you're not allowed to use their software. So anything that's related to them, DDE, Ubuntu DDE must have to strip out because they they say you're not allowed to use it in the right in the EULA. I read the whole thing, so.
0: Right. Well, they don't use the uh, DDE software. They just use the desktop.
3: Desktop. Right. The desktop is GPL three. Definitely, I, I it does say that right in the EULA too. So, yeah. I mean, I just I don't know. I I don't feel comfortable recommending using this. I would feel relatively comfortable recommending Ubuntu DDE, but I, I just. I don't know. It's not because it's Chinese or anything like that or, or whatever. It's just I can't see the source code. That's all. I don't care if if it was an American that built this from scratch. If you, I can't see the source code, I can't really recommend it. That's just how it is with me. So uh, I guess well, now we'll move on to the uh, new releases.
0: Okay. Thanks, Josh. New releases since last episode, from January twelfth to February fifteenth, we have Sparky five point one six, Xticks twenty two point one, System Rescue nine point zero zero, GhostBSD twenty two point zero one point twelve, Absolute two zero two two zero one one seven, Deepin twenty point four, Arch Labs twenty twenty two point zero one point one eight, OpenMamba twenty twenty two zero one two three. Manjaro 21.2.2, Archbang 2201, Antix 19.5, Maybox 22.01, OpenSense 22.1, Raspi OS 2022-01-28, SmartOS 2022-0127, 4M Linux 38.1, Tiny Core 13.0, Linux Lite 5.8, Linux fx eleven point one point eleven o four, Garuda twenty two o one thirty one, Triskwell ten point zero, Fuguita seven point zero dash two o two two o two o two, Arch twenty twenty two point zero two point zero one, Nitrux twenty twenty two point zero two point zero two, Peppermint twenty twenty two dash zero two dash zero two, Archcraft twenty twenty two dot o two dot o two. Slackware 15.0, yay! Zorin 16 Education, ZenWalk 15.0-220204, Cubes 4.1.0, Maybox Linux 22.02, NewTix 22.02, Archman 2022.02.05, Absolute 15.0, OpenMandriva 4.3, another yay from me, Tails 4.27, IP Fire two point two seven core one hundred sixty three, Sparky Linux six point two, Smart OS twenty twenty two zero two ten, KDE Neon twenty twenty two zero two one zero, System Rescue nine point zero one, Bluestar five point sixteen point eight, Robo Linux twelve point zero three, Plop Linux twenty two point one, Arch Labs twenty twenty two point zero two point twelve, Easy OS three point four, Live Rezo 13.22.02.13 Kodachi 8.15 KOS 2022.02 Kali 2022.1 pfSense 2.6.0 and AV Linux MX-21 okay. Feedback take it Tony
1: Okay So I originally got this uh, email from uh, Henrik to my uh, old Mintcast email and I asked him to forward it to uh, our DHD email address. So it was official feedback. So it goes, Dear Tony, I write this as a listener feedback to DHD. It's a bit of a long story. Use all or parts or nothing uh, in the feedback section. When you announced it, you were stepping back from hosting Mintcast, it inspired me to listen to Hopper's Digest again. I've listened a few times before, but now I listened to episode 28 and added it to my podcast subscriptions as well. I've listened to 29. It's a relaxing and informative show. I'm still on macOS on a Mac Mini as my daily driver, but I have Linux on a separate laptop, or Laptops plural to learn and explore. It has been in my thoughts for decades, more or less since Linux was invented, to try Linux. I remember I went as far as a, I bought a book about Early Red Hat, with a CD included. At that time I was using a Sun Unix station at work. The stubborn colleague who had handed me disks with Linux over the years finally got me to try it. A good reason to try was also that I had a cheap laptop I bought because I wanted to have access to Windows when I switched to Mac OS. But on this cheap laptop it relatively soon became impossible to update Windows as it only had a 32 gigabit drive and 2 gigabytes of RAM. With Mint XFCE and a couple of years later it works fine. Then I added a refurbished ThinkPad T430 to my collection with three Linux currently Debian, Elementary and Mint installed and Windows on a separate drive. Eventually I will use Linux more seriously this year than last. I bought a refurbished ThinkPad T460P with 32GB RAM etc and Mint Cinnamon is the plan. Although I, I will keep the SSD with Windows 10 Pro as it is. My Mac Mini as well as T430's ThinkPad have 8 gigabytes of RAM, which generally is okay for me. However, an ongoing long-term project is to digitise my analogue photos, negative and positive slides, as well as older prints of family photos. 8 gigabytes is at the lower end. <laughs> with this 32 gig i can step up to uh, the scanning uh, resolution my time is rather limited for photo project now so uh, we will see when it happens the move to linux from mac os will also give a change of photo software i've been using photoshop elements as uh, catalog software for many years i have now started to use digicam as it is very good as a catalog including i can handle face tagging Probably for photo editing, I will also use Raw Therapy, eventually Darktable and Lightly Gimp. I use ViewScan for scanning. So analog photos might be my first step in finally migrating to Linux as a daily driver. In episode 28, Dale said he had installed Windows with GNOME boxes within Linux Mint. I have never been into the virtual business, but this got me interested in trying GNOME boxes. This new T460... Came with OEM install of Windows 10 Pro. OEM version of Windows is tied to the hardware. I wonder if I install this Windows license within the known boxes instead, will Windows find its hardware connection and accept this to get the license activated? Do you know? Well, if I try, I will fi- uh, I will for sure find if it works or not. <laughs> Best regards, Henrik. Did you did you answer that question? If you if you just bear with me, I've, I, I did do a reply email. Oh, sorry. I didn't notice that. <laughs> <laughs> so I responded to Heinrich. Thanks for the email. Regarding the issues of Windows in a virtual machine, it is my understanding that if you have a Windows license key related to the PC that the VM is running in, then it can be activated in the virtual machine. You may want to do a little research on the web, including YouTube, as to exactly how it can be done, as I've not done this myself. On the occasion I need Windows, I have a backup laptop that had Windows 8 installed, and and this has been upgraded to Windows 10 using that key. You can still activate Windows 10 with a Windows 7 key, so this may also be an option if you've uh, anything with a Windows 7 license on it. Microsoft has virtually given up the idea of making money out of Windows on legacy hardware these days. So the Windows cost is only paid at the time of purchasing new hardware with Windows 11. Windows 11 is also a free upgrade. You can download a copy of the ISO from Microsoft's site and i give a link to that. I did say I'm doing it now and we'll see if if I can activate it in boxes and report back on the show. So I did try... Downloading that ISO, got the ISO, but it wouldn't, when I did install it in boxes, it wouldn't activate using the Windows 7 key. I will say, however, there is a developer ISO that you can download, and that gives you a 60 day version that will run in uh, any virtual machine. Uh, I think you can also get a virtual box uh, image that's already installed, and then you can just uh, and it's ready to up and run. The old developer version for Windows 10 actually ran for 90 days, so I'm not sure if there's a hack that you can do to get the license to survive longer than. No, it wasn't 60 days. Sorry, it was 45 days, so it's half the time of the previous uh, one but I haven't seen anything on the internet where you can uh, hack it and get it to extend it. I know with Windows XP, you could do and you could get it to run for quite a long time before you had to reinstall it, but I'm not sure what the situation is with the latest uh, Windows uh, 11 ISO, whether that's possible. But I just put it in to have a, a route around and see if it worked in boxes, and it did. Anyone got anything else on that?
3: Yeah, actually um, as far as the oem version of windows uh there is really no way to get that to work in in a vm uh for the the key i mean i i could see maybe if you somehow spoofed the hardware to be exactly the same as uh your physical hardware it might work but an oem version of windows license cannot be moved to another pc it has to stay with that specific pc
1: yeah it- I wasn't sure, cause I know you can activate Windows 10, like I say, in in real hardware mm-hmm. through a Windows 7 license. So if it initially, if your hardware initially came with Windows 7, 8, or 8.1. Oh, yeah. Yep. You can get you can get Windows 10 and now Windows 11 if the hardware will support it. Go in right. Yep. But uh, yeah, I used to activate Windows 7 and Windows XP in Virtual Box without a problem using the the old uh, yep. license keys that used to come on the box. But like you say, since Windows 8, it's been hardware encoded the license key, so it's a lot harder.
3: There is an let's just say, not-so-legal way to get it, um, <laughs> activated. And it's very, it's actually very easy. It's its kind of weird how easy it is. And, um, so you could go that route if you just don't care. But you can, there is ways to activate Windows. Um, <laughs> and it's not that hard. So, uh, I'm not
2: recommending it, but there is ways. I just wanted to interject, um... There is the digital license that if you signed in with your Microsoft account, that it saves the license, and that, right. that license follows you, but I don't know if that works with the OEM. I know if you...
3: No, it does not work with the OEM.
2: Okay, so if you were to get a license that's registered to you, then that, that would work.
3: right. Yeah, trust me, I've tried this. I I have an OEM version of Windows on an old laptop, and I've (laughs) I've tried so many ways to try to get it to move over to uh, a VM or anything like that, and it just hasn't worked at all. And I I did research, and as far as what I did, what I saw in my research, OEM versions cannot be um, deactivated and reactivated on a new machine
1: at all. But if you buy buy a, a Windows 11 license...
3: Yeah, if you buy it from the store...
1: If you want to use that in a virtual machine and you, you've you activated it using your Windows account, mm-hmm. then you could probably get that activated in a virtual machine yep. because it follows the account. Oh, that's interesting to know.
3: Yeah. I think you have to deactivate it first before you do that. But um, other than that, you should work.
0: Well, there you go, Henrik. We got you covered here.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it's a good way of uh, being able to run a full version, a full flavor of Windows in your machine if you're prepared to pay 100 odd quid or 100 odd dollars for a, a full license. Okay, that's me.
0: Announcements. Our next episode will be recorded around March 23rd. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group, our MeWe group, or our Discord
3: channel. Links in the show notes. Where can our listeners find you, Josh? Um, At Josh on Tech on most social networks. um, Or you can email me at um, joshontech at mintcast.org. You can also find uh, me on Bo and I's Linux gaming podcast called Crowbar Kernel Panic.
2: And Dale? I'm at Dale underscore cdl on telegram and discord I don't think I use matrix anymore but in any case it's telegram and discord and my email is dale underscore cdl at me. and Tony what about you
1: yeah you can contact me at uh, distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com uh, if you want to go and listen to some of my old hacker public radio podcasts I'm um, host ID 338 and there's a link in the show notes to that and I'm on Twitter at Tony H1212.
0: And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me. And my Telegram, Discord, Twitter and Mastodon contact info can be found in the show notes. And you can also find me, Dale and Dylan at itsmoss.com.
1: Before we go, we would like to thank all those who have made this project possible. Starting with the MintCast crew for allowing us to use their Mumble server and Discord group. Archive.org for storing and helping to distribute this program.
2: Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode.
0: Mid-air machine creators of the song Streets of Santivo used as our music under Creative Commons license.
1: Thanks to Linus Torvalds for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU Toolkit, and all those who have worked hard behind the scenes on free and open source Libre software.
0: We shall be back next month. Thank all of you for listening.